Hello and welcome to Talk Ag to Me, the podcast dedicated to improving ag literacy around the globe. I'm your host, Brandon Black, and today's episode is all about the soil survey and soil science, all regarding the USDA's uh, collection of that kind of information. And today we have a very special guest, a uh, now seven-year retired uh, former employee for the USDA, Kerry uh, Ruiz. He's going to tell you a little about himself first, first of all. Well, as Brandon said, this is Kerry Ruiz. Uh, I did uh, almost a 40-year career. Uh, as a USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service uh, employee. Uh, in what used to be called the Soil Conservation Service, it was an agency set up after the Dust Bowl era uh, to combat erosion. And uh, I was specifically, most of my time, uh, working on soil surveys mm-hmm. so that people would have a good idea of what, what they're building on, what they're growing on, and uh, those kind of things. So. Uh, but I haven't remained active too in my seven years. I've actually done some backpacking and sampling up in the Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks. Mm-hmm. I'm on the technical advisory group for uh, one of the uh, Kings River uh, responses to the new Groundwater Sustainability Act. Um, the uh, and I and I do actually volunteer at at my old workplace, oh, nice. which which is good because I can pass off some of the knowledge that I've gained. Uh, in the field and from other people. And, and we co-organized uh, the 2016 conference on the Tulare Lake, which was archaeology and geology and stratigraphy and, mm-hmm. and all those things too. So the, uh, but also the, one of the big things was in the past I had such great mentors, mm-hmm. people like Dr. Gordon Huntington who wrote the soil survey of the eastern Fresno area, all around Fresno area. He started the year I was born in 1951. And so it, Roy, Dr. Roy Schleeman, I mean these people they just, they're on a big pedestal to me. And so for me, it's a way for me to pass on some of the knowledge that, that I'd gained, not just from them. Kim Chang, Terry Cook. I mean, it's, it's been fun because I, I do enjoy interacting with people. Awesome. So in your uh, long span of working for the USDA and doing the soil survey, and even after your retirement, still working in this industry, what major changes have you seen since the beginning of your career? <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, well, when I, when I first started, uh, I was under a really excellent trainer uh, down in Bakersfield uh, for a year, uh, Con Kim Chang, who had been trained by Dr. Gordon Huntington, who went clear back. Some of the people that signed his thesis uh, were even Dr. Hans Yaney, who wrote the book about factors of soil formation, mm-hmm. those kind of things. So there's, there's, a, there's a legacy and there's a lineage of soil scientists that, uh, that we all know is important uh, to us. And so, well, one of the things, of course, obviously, and, uh, and I, I think we could, we could go into this at length, but is just the changes to more permanent crops now, the higher values. Um, we, I believe firmly that uh, agriculture is a critical part of everything in our valley. And at the same time, uh, just if you just took Fresno County, Tulare County, Kern, and, and little old Kings over here where I'm from, uh, the, it's about $24 billion plus of agricultural production every year and that's that's almost hard to envision because it wasn't that it was way way lower now the dollars were worth more mm. back back when I started because I took I started full-time in 1975 mm. so uh, the uh, that's 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 probably one of the biggest I've seen mm. areas that weren't even irrigated Wow and so the amount of irrigation water required now is astronomically larger than it was back in 1975 when I started mm. 
So going off of that point, you know, you talk about the major changes being the, the increase in crop value, the change in, in I'm assuming the land, the land value as well, and the, and the changes in water and, and just access to it. With the new legislation in place, you know, with uh, the safe, uh, Sustainable Groundwater Management Act and that sort of thing, all the new changes going on with the water situation, do you see the changes that you've seen in the past getting uh, even, even larger, or do you see them, what, what direction do you see that going? Well, we have the production. But despite that production, I see agriculture is under huge duress right now. Mm -hmm. And there's no doubt, socially, economically, everything, uh, there's stresses on it. And uh, even family-wise, because I was talking to someone this morning, his, he has a family farm, and of his 15 uh, people his age, early 30s, only three were going to carry on the tradition mm -hmm. in, the, in the family, which all that means is that they will get farms will get larger and larger and larger, uh, economy of scale type mm -hmm. things. So uh, that's, that's definitely one. That the, and then, of course, there's the consequences of the production of food. And, there's, and it's, you don't get anything for free, no matter what you hear in this political climate. Mm -hmm. There is nothing free. You, there is a cost. Mm -hmm. And uh, to get water to the farmers, uh, we, we, we can go into some of the specifics of some of the uh, ecological things that have taken place. But socially, I think, there's uh, we're we're bound to head down a road that uh, that will change hmm. things. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Uh, what do you think is the um, because of your aspect of the industry not being what most consumers would think of when they think of agriculture? What do you think is the most important aspect? If you were to inform a consumer about what you do, what do you think is the most important part that you would want them to take away from your very good career? Well, one thing is. Ever the to me the soil and this is my quote because I've heard other people say things like it but soil is the glue mm. that holds the other disciplines together so it holds your family together uh, if you're a farmer uh, it's it's basically what you're going to farm if it has issues like a high salt level or has a high water table or you've got uh, uh, a hard pan mm -hmm. like like a lot of places in in the valley along this eastern front then you're addressing that you're going to be addressing those issues and the amount of inputs into your soil for example a slip plow going to five feet is going to make a uh, significant uh, amount of input of your money mm. up front and that's one th one of the big changes i have seen too was when with this huge influx of hundreds of thousands of permanent acres of permanent crops that were not there when I started, even in their 80s, even. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, when that took place, it uh, it did uh, it did change. Uh, it, it one thing they did they they figured out they had to change the uh, the fine stratification and other things in the soil, and that that would make a huge difference in where the water went and where the salts went. Mm. So it made the difference between being able. I see areas that are farmed now by friends of mine that are farmers that. I would not have thought I would ever see. Wow, <laughs> that's I mean that's that's pretty interesting to to see that kind of change occur in, in your lifetime. It's something that yes. I think that I'm, you know, as as a as a new generation of agriculturalists, I think that's something that we're going to be expecting a lot of is is these types of changes, you know, being even more drastic than they already are. And and we have a, a soil taxonomy, just mm -hmm. like plants have a genus and species. Right. Soils do too. When I first started, uh, the, the seventh approximation came out, which mm -hmm. was basically a way for us to key out soils. Mm -hmm. 
uh, so that if I'm in Russia or I'm, I worked in South America at one time in Uruguay uh, for a, about a month of sampling soils, I can still classify these soils so that somebody I can then portray what I'm seeing to mm -hmm. somebody else by the classification of those soils. Well, what do you do about a soil that, for example, like the San Joaquin soil mm -hmm. or the Exeter soil along this, that has a hard pan uh, with, a, with a clay increase over the top of it? What do you do when it's been deep ripped to five feet mm -hmm. uh, the, and it had mounds that were as high as this room? And, and it and no longer has that, it's been leveled, hmm. uh, then uh, you push three feet of water through it in an area that only got maybe eight or nine inches hmm. of precipitation previously, that's not the same soil. Right. How do you classify those? Hmm. And so those are issues that, that have come up. And, and it's not just to classify. That's all well <laughs> and good. It, what it's really about is telling the user of that soil, not just the farmer, but a realtor or somebody else, what it is going to be, what it can be used for or might be used for, but also what kind of problems they're going to encounter and how to overcome those problems. Mm. So it's the soil is absolutely critical. It's what holds the water. I mean, it's what you're going to be working with. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. So um, when this past couple weeks ago, we, we had the World Egg Expo obviously occur. And this year and last year, I had the opportunity to um, interview a company called Fieldin. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Um, in their company focuses on uh, monitorization technology. So monitoring, um, you know, inputs of, of crops uh, in terms of like what they input into the soil, what they get out of it, yep. the, um, the tracking of the actual employees working on the soil, all yes. the different like the chemical inputs, everything that goes into the soil or even just in the, in the entire operation, what goes in and out of it. So that kind of leads me to the question of what new technologies have we seen in the, in the research field with, with you know, your department? What have you seen um, that has you know, greatly increased our ability to record this kind of information? Well, when I, when I first started, uh, as a matter of course, because of being in this part of the valley, we would take soil samples, mm -hmm. uh, not every day, but uh, while we were doing our soil auger, which generally, generally we would go to five or six feet, mm -hmm. uh, and we'd use a shovel and we had a backhoe and we could open it up and look at more things. But, but generally we would be looking at salinity. So you're looking at the electrical conductivity, the sodium adsorption ratio, uh, the uh, particle size analysis. Do you have any coarse sands in there? Uh, what's your sand silt and clay? How much water is that going to hold? Uh, you know, salts reduce that amount, that kind of thing. Gotcha. And so the, uh, but that's what we did then. And, oh, and maybe carbon. Mm -hmm. uh, we would do organic carbon in those days. Nowadays, they do a total carbon. Uh, and so uh, now um, we, do, we do more lab, way more mm -hmm. laboratory analysis, uh, usually through our National Soil Survey Lab when I was, when I was working at, at, in Lincoln. It's mm -hmm. called the Kellogg <laughs> Soil uh, Survey Lab now, National Soil Survey Lab. And uh, so there's a whole host of things we can check. Uh, you know, that beyond what we used to in the past, even though we had good analysis, and even, even in the 80s when uh, Kesterson reared its head and, and the high selenium started shutting down agriculture on the west side mm. because of the drainage issues, uh, you know, I, I think I ran about 250 samples for selenium back in those days wow. uh, through our national lab. And they had to learn how to, how to actually test for that because mm. they didn't know. I mean, they were only plus or minus maybe 15%, but it still told you that you had an issue here 
because there were some deformities and things that they were finding in some of the uh, wildlife populations. Mm. And, uh, you know, and, and where did it come from? You know, I mean, it came from a certain type of Cretaceous geology that mm. was light density, diatomaceous rock, and it floated down in our streams like Ponoche Creek and <laughs> Cantua Creek and ended up in our soils in the valley. And so th these kind of things. Uh, and then, of course, if you want to get really... Uh, with the, just with GPS, it changed everything. Mm. Ground penetrating radar, all this this kind. Of, we've used that in the Delta, California Delta. Mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, it, uh, it it's almost unlimited, mm. and a lot of it is spot on uh, location. I mean, there was none of that. I mean, I grew up on a stereoscope. Well, most you, I don't know if you've looked at a, through a stereoscope, but I've looked for months on end through <laughs> stereoscopes with aerial photos mm -hmm. and you can see 3d and you can see a lot of things that you wouldn't now you've got google earth <laughs> <laughs> right yeah no kidding <laughs> no, that's and old aerial photos sometimes that weren't real clear either mm -hmm. you know right if you go back so yeah no exactly so i mean like even like like in, like from that perspective even like drone technology would would be largely beneficial for that so yeah. I want to kind of cover a point that you, you kind of touched on in, in that answer. You talked about, you know, how, we, how we've been able to analyze the Central Valley soil more effectively than we ever have before. Yeah. I think that it's pretty well known, at least across the agricultural community. I'm not sure about the consumer community as well. But California has the most fertile soil of, of anywhere almost in, in the entire world. That being said, have you had much experience with monitoring soil in other states, territories, other you know areas that we also farm in, and, and kind of compared the difference to kind of see what the the true difference of, of like how great California soil is? Well, you know, let's just take our San Joaquin Valley here. Mm -hmm. We could take the whole Central Valley. Let's just take from say San Joaquin County this way to the Grapevine. Okay. Uh, the Central Valley. Mm -hmm. Let's say this part of the Central Valley. Uh, definitely the most productive place on earth. It's mm -hmm. not even close. Uh, we've been blessed, incredibly so, with the Sierra Nevada to the east mm. uh, in this very, very deep trough of, uh, of soils that uh, we're able to grow just about anything but with water. Mm. Uh, and people, before I forget this too, people tend to discount even in the Sierra, the importance of that. But we know the snow provides normally maybe 30% of our water supply. Mm. But way more important are those soils up there. They're not shallow like people think. It's not like you, when you're looking in Yosemite and you see those granite domes, most of the soils are many, many, many meters deep mm. up in the Sierra. That's holding water. Wow. So when it rains and when those soils, uh, when the snow melts, it goes down into the soil. and so. Even last year's incredible water year that we had, those are still those soils are still producing that, mm. and it's coming down here. And so, uh, and and so, yes, our soils are fertile. There might be you might make a case for having more fertile soils in the uh, in the Midwest. Mm. Uh, you could make a case for it, but they don't have. And and the other thing too is the value of a Mediterranean climate. Mm. It's it's a feast or famine, and in my point has always been. Uh, since it's feast or famine, and we're in a famine right now, this particular year, mm -hmm. it's, I mean, we had rain in a very short window, and that's been it. Mm -hmm. uh, then you've got to be a very good steward of all the, all the precipitate falls, not only in the mountains, what you capture in dams, but also what you capture underground. 
and how efficiently you use it down here. Mm. So, uh, so yeah, and I've seen the plains of Uruguay down there by Argentina and Brazil, and they incredible uh, production. But you know, they don't irrigate; they get forty inches of rain, mm. and you know that right. kind of thing. So, um, so a lot of it is related to without water, you're going to have a hard time growing anything. Right. <laughs> and so, and we really don't have much here. So. So it's, it's gradually, uh, and, and people need water too. So the urban areas and, and the, I mean, we're paving over paradise yeah. is, is, the way I, is the way I put it. Yeah. Uh, it's the way, the way I see it. Yeah, no, I agree. It's, it's unfortunate to see, you know, we're, we're losing potentially the, the greatest tool we've ever had for, for the task we're going to have over the next, you know, the rest of, of humanity feeding the world. You know, it's... Our, our absolute greatest resource for that is is being depleted because we're just not getting the resources we need to there for one reason or another. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask about in, in that particular subject, and, and you actually brought this up before we even started the interview, was you're working on a, a new project having to do with Central Valley soil, right? Would you mind, as much as you can, kind of yeah. you know touch on that a little bit? Well, part well part of the thing is uh, in in the Central Valley is. Everything's been changed. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, Thomas Wolfe wrote a, I mean, the famous phrase was, you can't go home again. <laughs> you know, I, I had my 50th high school reunion last year up in Susanville. Mm. And so I went to Lassen Junior College up there. And, and uh, you go home and everything's a scale model of what you remember. <laughs> and so if you think there's some utopia out there, uh, forget it. It's not. <laughs> it's not, not here on earth anyway. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think you need to think about, uh, everyone should be thinking about how can we keep this this place that we've got and the social structure that we have mm. at the the in in good condition the best way that we can? Mm. And so I think first thing is good knowledge about what's there. What have we done? What what needs to be fixed? That kind of thing. So uh, you know, one definitely way would be to look at the changes that have taken place in those soils, even if they're classified something differently from the past. And how can we uh, use that to uh, help people uh, utilize those soils in their production later on? Mm, I see. Uh, Interesting. So do you think that with, I mean, kind of our current, um, not to get too political, but kind of our current political climate with the issues with, um, you know, regulation, with water control, with water rights, and with, I mean, really a, a, a consumer population that has very little to any kind of understanding of what it is we're doing behind the scenes do you see a whole lot of hope for kind of getting getting to the things that we're that we're working towards right now like what we're talking about right now i think the technology is one hopeful place Mm -hmm. uh but technology is also a double-edged sword too Mm -hmm. for example just just a quick uh the hundreds of thousands of acres that we now have of permanent crops that we didn't have in the 80s i mean each each of those are going to require up to let's just say three feet of water. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of water. Yeah. If you had half a million acres of it, that means you needed to have uh, uh, one point. You need to have one and a half pine flats just to handle the extra <laughs> yeah. that you put out there. Yeah. No and kidding. so uh, that's. But on the same thing too, drip irrigation and the very carefully applied water. That sounds all good, and it is. Mm-hmm. The problem is you're applying salts every time you put water on. And they used to have something that was called leaching fraction or leaching requirement. Mm. It was preached to me back in the 70s. You've got to have more water than what your plant and evaporation requires, the evapotranspiration rate. And so you need to put on more water. 
and you have to have it open, in other words, uh, slip plowed or some chain so that gypsum or whatever is required mm -hmm. to be able to push the, those salts down past your root zone. Well, they're not doing that. Mm -hmm. You've got a little zone around your base of your trees and, and it's a salty, it's getting saltier and saltier as it wicks out to, the, to those edges. Mm -hmm. And so down the middle of the row, it's gonna be much saltier than it is right where you're applying the water because the water is pushing it down at that spot. But it's also push. it's like a big uh, cereal bowl of Cheerios with the milk. The edge has a little ring around it. Right. And so without, and that doesn't sound like a big deal. It is a big deal. Civilizations have perished from this. Mm. Mesopotamia. Wow. Uh, there are civilizations that because of salt and because of lack of drainage, they have died. Mm. And uh, some people don't seem to care. I mean, I don't, th I think... Sometimes when you're in the middle of an incredible uh, bounty like we have here, you tend to discount it and you don't think in terms of the fact that we are so blessed mm -hmm. uh, that we don't even understand it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, think you have, I, I think you have a pretty good point there. Um, what have you, what, what, inter what interactions have you had with farmers about these types of topics where you had to, you know, convince a farmer that they need to prioritize their soil health or, or like you're saying, like, watch out for, you know, that, that potential ring of death or, you know, kind of, kind of have an awareness of what it is they're putting into their, their crop production. Well, some farmers are uh, more proactive than others. Mm -hmm. uh, that's just the way we all are. We're all hardwired kind of the, the way that we, uh, and for example, right now, uh, take uh, Jeff Mitchell. Uh, he's uh, at the uh, UC uh, Experiment Station out in Five Points, and uh, he's strongly a proponent of the no-till. Mm. You know, and so many farmers would think that, you know, you have to till it every year. I'm going to get weeds, and you're going to have issues, and then when I'm trying to plant, I'm getting all these weeds stuck in my planter and all this mm -hmm. stuff, and I saw, I saw it. I, I, we planted nine acres in front of my church <laughs> the other day, and, and that's what I saw, mm. you know. And so the uh, – um, but but all that aside, there are farmers such as, say, you know, on the west side, I, I've known some very proactive farmers, are willing to try anything mm. to, to in order to not have to retire their land because the salts have taken over, because the drainage has taken over, because they can't get rid of the drainage water, that kind of thing. And so, uh, and I've seen them try just about anything, including harvesting the soil from those salts and then using those in different kinds of... Uh, 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 products. Oh, huh. Interesting. So, um, so that you actually, you kind of raise an interesting point with the, with the no-till, uh, method. Um, I, I've actually talked to a few farmers around this area that are starting to try yes. more of those like regenerative ag, uh, methods to try to see if it, if it can maximize their production or, or at least minimize their, their potential costs, not just financial, but, but production costs as well. Um, has any of the research that you guys have done shown that these effect that these methods are, are worth trying, or that they, that they potentially could be effective for a, a more productive? Uh, well, um, I was on a panel related to the the last long drought that we had at the mm -hmm. Soil Science Society of America meetings, and it was in Long Beach, and uh, the uh, Jeff Mitchell spoke mm -hmm. at that. The same. It was actually it was um, I forget what they call it, but basically it was it was about the drought, that current mm -hmm. drought, and uh, yeah, because every time you till, what happens to some of that moisture? It goes in the air. Yeah. Every time you till, what happens to some of that carbon? It goes up in the air. Mm -hmm. And so the uh, I think 
there's logic to it, but I have been on the other side. I have a garden myself. I produce a, a few tons mm. of produce for my church. <laughs> and so they, uh, and I put it out there and I have the bags ready for people. And, you know, we've got 20 different kinds of tomatoes and mm. we've got peppers and we've got all kinds of stuff. I wouldn't do it if it wasn't for my wife. <laughs> but uh, the, uh, so I, I understand the uh, complexities of mm. things. And, uh, but if you want to do it in a sustainable fashion, which I would say we most most of us do if you want to pass it on to the next generation mm-hmm. in just as good a shape then we need to have to be able to do that and right now um, I mean this year right now I mean I saw how many wells are being pumped <laughs> it's pumping water massive amounts of water out of the ground right now because there's not going to be these rivers are not going to run much That's through right. the canals this year and so and you know and even this Frank Frank Kern Canal they've lost I know it's more than half the capacity mm. and it, and you're only it's like your weakest link thing mm-hmm. because of the subsidence from groundwater pumping you've lost that section of its capacity which means that you've lost it for the whole thing right and so you're only as good as your weakest link and that has to be fixed yeah uh, and yes it is farming that causes it but it's also cities mm-hmm. but cities are small compared to the amount of water that are being put on because we have so much agriculture here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, the uh, and there are different kinds of subsidence. Mm-hmm. If you go out by Cam Avenue uh, and you're driving I-5 and you start bouncing up and down, what you're bouncing up and down on is shallow subsidence that basically has uh, irregularly across the landscape uh, fallen out. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, it's you can't level it. <laughs> it's interesting. <laughs> I mean, that's a little um, intimidating for the the optimists that are trying to say, like, yeah, we're gonna it, we're gonna fix it. It's you know, it's, there's a chance it might not be as easy as as everyone tries to make it sound like. But I think that I think that one of the things that is kind of the word for is escaping me right now. But basically, like, I see a lot of farmers that are going opposite directions in, in that that topic there's some that are optimistic that we can save it that we can bring california back to how it should be and how it how it mm-hmm. you know could most be, be most prosperous and there's some farmers there saying you know california's doomed we're moving somewhere else um do you think that having that that you know exodus of farmers to other states because california is losing its its ground as a not just ground you know physically but ground metaphorically we're, we're kind of losing our 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 strength in the state because of you know legislation and, and you know politics or whatever the case may be. Um, do you? What are your thoughts on the exodus? I guess is my my question. Yeah. And, yes, and I do know. Mm-hmm. I do know farmers that, and and the human side of us all would be. Let me take care of my family. Mm-hmm. I mean that's family first. You want to you want to make sure economically they're taken care of, and that's. One of the primary reasons, the huge influx of permanent crops, because they will, you will make enough money, mm-hmm. at least at, up till now, uh, with those crops. Uh, the problem being, there is not enough water right now, as currently legislated and or falls on our great land here, mm-hmm. up in the Sierra, uh, to handle that much. So there's only one option right now, and that has been to pump groundwater. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the uh, now there are ways to recharge and there's a lot of other things that can be done and uh, i'm all for that uh but the numbers are staggering Mm. and uh, it is um it can be depressing and so recognizing that then you have to try innovative and uh, um really uh uh 
you know, try something that's different. Uh, you know, for example, if you st if you just have something stored in our valley floor, you're going to lose six or seven feet just to evaporation. Mm -hmm. If it went to its old, <laughs> that's that's the the imprint of the old Tulare Lake, four hundred fifty thousand oh, wow. acres in size. It, that water wants to go there, the Kings River, the mm -hmm. Kawea River, all of your small creeks coming out of this area here in Tulare County, mm -hmm. the Kern River. It would come off the backside of Mount Whitney, come down the mountains, hit the Kern Lake, hit Buena Vista Lake, come through the Goose uh, Canal, Goose uh, Lake area, and then eventually hit Tulare Lake, Summit Lake, and then in real high water years, wander out towards the Delta hmm. through the Fresno Slough to the San Joaquin River. And so these uh, those days are gone, hmm. but... Uh, there is a natural flow of things, and I think it needs to be handled in, in spreading basins or something else so that, uh, uh, and I think the people that, that do the best job handling their water, because the technology for growing the crops is going great, mm -hmm. but the, they do the best for handling their water under the new legislation too, because it's going to be required anyway. Mm -hmm. So uh, the uh, so I think those people would be the people that will be around and the rest will be in another state. Hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's probably a, a most accurate uh, perspective on that issue that I've, I've heard at least. Um, so kind of, I think probably one of the last questions I, I mm -hmm. have for you at least, and this is kind of a two-part question, um, is about our, our education about this particular issue about soil science mm -hmm. and soil surveys as a whole. Yes. Um, you, you mentioned how you, or before the interview, you mentioned how you did uh, at least some time you know, lecturing and mentoring mm -hmm. other people for this particular career. Yes. Do you think that our education system for this career is, is you know, adequate? Do you think we're getting enough information about, you know, a, a need for help in, in the research department about, you know, the, ag, the agri-science aspect of agriculture? I think it's good. It's getting, it, and it is better in some institutions and maybe less so in others. Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's sort of a wave. I, I went to Chico State, graduated in 73. And uh, at that time, they had a pretty good soils program, even though I graduated in agriculture with an agronomy option and, and just specialized in soils. So, uh, but, but most of the people that I supervised through the years were Cal Poly mm. uh, soil scientists. Um, and then I, I strongly associated through the years with Fresno State just because Fresno's here. And, uh, and then, then some wonderful people as well. Mm. And so it's a people thing as well. So I think, yeah, but there's always better ways to do it. And, and I think there has to be a living to be made. So, mm -hmm. so whatever they do, there has to, you have to have them going towards a career that, uh, that will make a difference in their lives, but a difference for society too. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's another one of those uh, important points. I, uh, you know... It is, education is critical, mm -hmm. there's no doubt. Uh, the, the public, if they can go in and buy eggs for whatever they're buying them for now cheap, they're happy. Yeah, no, exactly. So I think the second part of that question is also about education, but kind of in a different perspective. So one of the, the leading causes of the reason we have, you know, a lot of the legislation we do, a lot of the purchasing uh, choices that consumers make, a lot of the uh, kind of just public opinion about certain things that's going on in the agricultural realm is just because consumers are kind of disconnected from the ag industry. A lot of them don't even know that there is a science aspect to agriculture. Do you think that our current relationship with consumers is something that could be improved? Is there anything that you would you know, personally like to see more improvement in, in the communication with consumers about these types of topics? 
Um, what would you, if you could talk to consumers, what would you want to tell them about? Well, one thing, a lot more is online now. The Web Soil mm -hmm. Survey, which is anybody that, that uh, the entire state is now mapped. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's been a, several of them that have had mapping, a reconnaissance survey back in 1915 or whatever. There was a group of surveys done in the 1930s. And then even now trying to address some of these changes that have taken place. Uh, so Web Soil Surveys there and also all the books. I found out that I had a little gift in being able to put a lot of different things together. Mm. And so I wrote books about, you know, Western Fresno. Everything that I learned, I tried to make sure I got into those books. Mm. And they're online, too. They're called Archive Soil Surveys. And so Kings County, the one right, right next door to us here, I wrote that on a manual typewriter. I typed every one. It didn't even plug in. Wow. And then, and then you know, Western Tulare that we're in here, mm -hmm. Southwest Kern was another book that was written, and Northeast Kern was another one that I had a big part of, and Yosemite as well, mm -hmm. Yosemite National Park. So these were all ones that I was able to touch. And we're, what I'm trying to do and what other soil scientists were trying to do is say, here's what I've learned. Mm -hmm. It's important. Here's the data. Here's all the lab data. You can go here to find it. You can see it. Mm. Uh, and here's here's what uh, we believe is important. Mm. Okay. Well, then the reason I have to ask that question is because, like I mentioned at the beginning, this is a podcast dedicated yes. to ag literacy, you know, teaching consumers about uh, different parts of the ag industry that they tend to not get much exposure to. And having a unique perspective from someone involved in a, in a non-production side of agriculture necessarily is something that I think a lot of consumers need to hear from. To well, there's one called... Um, it's uh, Soils for Teachers okay. with a four in the middle, hmm. .org. And that's one, a book that I wrote about the San Joaquin soil, our official state soil oh. of California. Interesting. And so the, uh, and it's, it's, a nice, it's a nice story. And, you know, and you can, it tells you about how some children were able to push that to our legislature, <laughs> which was amazing. Interesting. And their teacher and, and uh, those kind of things. But, but I, it also can be used with the soil formation factors that we really didn't talk about much, mm. you know, like time, climate, those kind of things, parent material. Where did, mm. where did it come from? What kind of rock did it come from? And uh, even, good grief, I even talked to the uh, uh, folks down there at NASA Jet Propulsion Lab about, uh, we named uh, Curiosity our official professional soil scientist association member of, uh, uh, she's up there wandering around sampling Mars. Mm. So huh, interesting. Know, so <laughs> that's pretty cool. <laughs> and those are the kind of things that can connect with people. Too, yeah, no, definitely. Well. Yeah, catching them off guard by like, hey, we're looking at Mars soil. There's like, right. wait, Mars soil. They're that's, sampling. Yep. <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's really cool. Well, like I said, those are all the questions I have. If you have any final comments you'd like to make, then you're more than free to. Well, I only just this. I am passionate about uh, about. Agriculture. I'm passionate about not just agriculture, but about the actual soils. Many times I've had uh, eye-opening experiences, and I was the only one out there other than the soil. <laughs> and so, so you know, I'm talking to myself and that kind of thing. I mean, it's uh, you can tell a soil's age even by smelling it. People would know that. I mean, you know, wow. there's there's uh, there's all. I mean, you can get some ideas about it. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is, and there's there's. Uh, and so what we're, what we're all really trying to do is make sense mm. out of what we're given here and uh, in the soil. And, so, and, and to basically put it in a way that we can then explain it, educate it mm -hmm. to others. And that's, that's essentially what soil scientists do. Um, it, is a, uh, it was an incredible uh, experience for me. It still is. <laughs> it still is. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but I, 
um, that that's kind of where where I was coming from, and and I was blessed to get into a, uh, a vocation hmm. that I loved. Yeah, and that's really the ultimate goal too: make a little money too, but but get into something you really enjoy. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'd like to thank you so much for coming in and doing this interview. I appreciate it. It was definitely interesting. Um, I love getting people in here who are passionate about agriculture, who really have a, a strong stance on the industry. Um, you know, it's, it's something we need more of, more people who are passionate and who, who want to vocalize their passion about that, that aspect of their lives. So, um, yeah, like I said, you know, thanks again for, for everything. I'd like to thank our, our listeners for everything. Um, did you have something else you wanted to no, thank okay. you. Yeah, no, thank my, you very much. My pleasure. And um, yeah, so thank all you guys for checking it out. And don't forget, if you ate today, thank a farmer.